Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But it says, wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us, that's what it was, it was meant to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that law is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Today on Truth in Christ, Pastor Rob continues our study in chapter 5 regarding God's law given to the nation of Israel. We learn that God's intent of His law was to be a guide for us to know that we need a Savior in our lives. God knows it is impossible for us to keep the Ten Commandments, and because God is holy, He is unable to come near sin. So He gave us a way to be separated from our sin and be connected to Him. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's follow Pastor Rob with today's message. Right? So he writes these Ten Commandments, and we can't even get through a day without breaking one or more of them. But the law was given to us, not as a means to achieve salvation by it, but actually to coming to an end of ourselves. Lord, I can't do this. God loves to respond to desperation. Have you ever been desperate in your sin and said, you know what, Lord, I am so sick of myself? Have you done a sin and continued to do it over and over again, and you're thinking, God, when are you going to deliver me from this? And he goes, well, about the time you really hate it. (laughs) Because sometimes I love my sin, and I'm not willing to give it up. I want to hang on to it. It's a pet. And I pull that pet out every now and then, and I scratch it behind the ears, and it purrs, and it gives me warmth and solace and peace, little comfort as I pet that little thing behind the ears. And the Lord is saying, crucify it, crucify it. But the law was meant as a schoolmaster. It was meant to bring us to a certain place. It wasn't meant just to condemn us. It actually does. It condemns us, but it doesn't leave us there. It says, now, as Paul's going to say, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Paul's saying to the Galatians, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture has concluded all under sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the promise of, by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. 
But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. And here it is, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. It was meant as a tool to do something, to bring us to an end of ourselves, to, to have us finally on our knees and say, God, I cannot do this. I tried so hard to do what's right, and I can't do it. You know, there's nothing more frustrating than to see a Christian who is not baptized in the Spirit, or, who, or, who is not, or, if, or if they're just a lukewarm Christian, they're not really walking with Jesus, and to see them trying to work this out and frustrated, they get angry because they find themselves failing and failing and failing, and there's nothing more horrible than to see that. God wants to give us life. He wants to give us abundant life, but we have to come to Him, and we have to be totally sold out. Are you sold out 100% to Jesus Christ? Do you know how much he loves you? The price that was paid. Again, when that lamb was on the altar, let me tell you, all those children, all those families, do you think it's easy to sacrifice a cute little animal like a, like a, like a sheep? They're white as wool. They're beautiful. And they had to be without blemish. So it made it even worse. It's easy to sacrifice an ugly one. But God didn't say sacrifice an ugly one. He said take the very best one. And they're the really, really the cutest right around one year old because they got those big fluffy ears. And all the kids are like, oh, daddy, you can't do that. You can't do that. And say, I'm sorry. We got to do this. This is what God told us to do. And you know what? They, I think they had perhaps a, a little healthier feeling about sin than perhaps I do. It's very easy for me to sin. Maybe you feel the same way. But it ought not to be. But it says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us, that's what it was, it was meant to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that law is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. What does it say in, um, in Romans chapter 3? As if it doesn't get any worse. <laughs> the Bible uh, brings us to our knees again. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. You can't earn salvation by doing the law. There's no one who can except for Christ. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It shows me who I am. It shows me what my old nature is capable of. And it ought to drive me, if I'm honest, it'll drive me to my knees and drive me right into the arms of Christ, who is the only sacrifice, who the Bible says paid the price. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It's a wonderful gift. And when we take it, our lives are transformed. Now all of a sudden we have the capability to not be a slave to sin any longer. It doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless. We are going to continue to sin, but we ought to sin less than we did when we were without Christ in the world. But now we have an advocate, right? The Bible says if we do sin, we can confess it and be forgiven. Like it says in 1 John chapter 1, if, he, if you confess your sin, he is faithful to cleanse us all unrighteousness. And to cleanse us. He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the best deal going, folks. There's no greater deal in the universe than that deal right there. He is the substitute for me and you. And finally, in, it says in verse 1, And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, 
the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. And the word here there is the same word that we know in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse, verses 4 and 5. You can see it up here on the screen. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. And the idea of that word here is to listen, but not just to listen and let it go in your ear, but to listen with the intent of obeying. And that's the difference between the word. And so Moses is using the same word here. He says, Hear, O Israel, hear it and do it. Even though they know that they weren't going to do it, and that's why the sacrificial system was in place for them. Because when they did blow it, they would take the lamb. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. And, and again, he's referring back to this earlier time. In fact, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 20, they were only three months out of Egypt at that time. They were still very young in their, in their walk with the Lord. And he wasn't very easy on them either. He still demanded obedience. So they were three months coming out of Egypt and here they are confronted with this, with this almighty God. And he spoke to them at the mountain and the thunder and the lightning and the dark, thick clouds and, and the, the, the trumpet getting louder and louder. And they were losing their minds. And they finally tell Moses, you go speak to him because we understand that he's speaking. We can hear him speak and we are scared to death of him. <laughs> but Moses went up and he interceded for them. But it says in verse 3, it says, The Lord did not make his covenant with our fathers, but with us. Those who are here today, all of us who are alive. It doesn't mean that the covenant wasn't effect for them, but they're dead. They're gone. This is for us now. What are you guys going to do with it? Because if you're going into this promised land, there are things that you have to know. There are things that you're going to see and encounter from these pagan nations because they violate every single one of these things. And you have to know that God, his standard is very high. And don't mingle with them. Don't get tangled up with them. And it says in verse 4, the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. Talked to their fathers and that first generation. He says, I, Moses speaking, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. It's interesting here because he says, I stood between the Lord at that time. That, That is exactly what a priest does. A priest is someone who brings the things of God to the people and the things from the people or the needs of the people back to God. That's a mediator, right? And the Bible says there's only one mediator between us and and God the Father, the man Jesus Christ, because he's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. There's really no need for us to have some middle person in the way. We can go directly to him. Verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Notice, a house of bondage, how easy it was for them to forget the, the bondage that they were in. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Notice lowercase g. And obviously these gods weren't real gods. They were, the, the, they were things that were made up in the mind of the worshiper. In fact, today you see that a lot as well. There are many different Jesuses out there, but the only Jesus that we worship is the one who's been revealed to us through the word of God. The Mormons believe in Jesus, but they believe he's a half-brother of Lucifer. Jesus is the only uncreated one. Lucifer was a created being. They can't be brothers. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that he's deity, a different Jesus. There are some churches who have this bizarre thought of who Jesus is. So would the real Jesus stand forward 
right? Well, he already has. And he didn't just stand forward. He took the, the place on the cross for you and me. And this is the word of God. Do you believe that this is accurate, that this is true, that you can bet your life on it? It's the greatest possession we hold in our hands. And we are going to have to really believe it, folks, in the day that we live in because everything is being eroded out from underneath your feet. Do you know that? Everything you watch on television, your music, your schooling, in your high schools and in your colleges, they could care less about Christ and they could care less about your relationship with him. Everything is going to be opposed to what this says. So as for me and my house, I'm going to believe this, and hopefully you will too, because it's not going to be easy. You've got to know why you believe and believe it. So these are false gods, and, and, and a lot of times they would just make up a god. The Egyptians did that. The Babylonians did that. Anything that brought them pleasure, they'd make a god out of it. If, the, if I love the sun, then I'll make the, a god of the sun, Ra. We'll call it Ra. If I really like fish, I'll worship a god named Dagon. <laughs> if I really like the Nile, then I'll worship the water, the god of the water. And all of these things are designed to get you away from the one thing, Jesus Christ. False gods. They're, they're not really gods at all. But I can tell you that there is demonic entity behind whatever that thing is. Even the very thought of it is demonic. That's why people worship these strange things. A thought comes into their mind. The next thing you know, they're building an altar next to it. They're putting candles. They're marking themselves. They're doing all kinds of crazy things. And in verse 7, he says, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make to yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. In Exodus chapter 26, verse 31, we can look at this. You know, God didn't have a problem with art. You know, when we think of art, there are images that we see. But the big difference is, is we admire them for their beauty. We don't set candles next to them and have a little kneeling mat in front of it, which is what some Christians do. There are Christians who are called by name that will worship an image here in Rochester. They'll worship an image of some dead saint They'll worship an image of a dead relative, of a figurine, of some character of the Bible. That's a problem. But God doesn't have a problem with art. He doesn't have a problem with those kinds of things. But the attitude behind it, notice in Exodus chapter 26, speaking concerning the veil of the tabernacle, God is giving the directions for how this thing should look. He says in verse 31, "...you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen." Say that fast three times. It shall be woven, notice, with an artistic design of cherubim. What is a cherubim? It's an angel. So is God, like, against art? No, he's not against art, but he's interested in what you do with that art. And so even the very veil in the tabernacle is going to have an artistic design of cherubim for beauty because God is wonderful in his creativity. There is no one like him. He's the greatest artist. Have you ever looked at pictures that somebody's painted and then you can be in an airplane. I remember flying from here to Florida around Christmas time. I'm always amazed that whenever we land or get, get in Florida, and I'm looking over toward Tampa Bay on my right side, and I look over and I see the sun setting. And the sun is just, it is just amazing. You can see it afar off, and it's just on fire. And the colors are just amazing. And you're like, God, you are the most amazing artist. You don't even need a canvas. <laughs> you don't even need oils or pastels. 
what a wonderful, gracious, and wonderfully brilliant God that we serve. And you shall hang it on the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And he goes on and he says, he says, And then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil, and the veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And it's there for beauty, for glory. In verse 9 he says, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Notice, to those who hate me. But first, let's talk about this idea of a jealous God. God is jealous for you. He knows what's best for you. And when he finds you dabbling in things that he knows is going to draw you away from him, which he is the source. He's the only pure and holy source in anything that we have. The Word of God is the only thing that we can read that's pure. Is there anything that you can read that is pure like this? This is pure. His Word is holy. He is holy. And anything we do, anything we involve ourselves in that he sees is going to take us off on a, on a different path, he's like, no, no, no. And the conviction comes and we say, no, Lord, I got this under control. And the conviction comes, no, Lord, I got this. And he's like, oh, my son, my daughter, what are you doing? He loves you no differently. You'll find the emptiness in that thing and you'll be coming back to him. And he'll never refuse you. He'll always invite you back to the cross. And don't ever forsake going to the cross. When you blow it, the devil's going to condemn you. You're no Christian. You've done this thing so many times. I've lost count. God will never accept you. If everybody at church knew what you thought of, what you did the other day, for the hundredth and the thousandth time, nobody would even want to fellowship with you. You're a hypocrite. And then your own flesh condemns you. (laughs) And the Lord's saying, confess and be done. Isn't that wonderful? If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us. It's done. We can walk away, our fellowship restored. Oh, but the devil says, oh, it can't be that easy. And the Lord's going, oh yeah, it is. It's that easy. But we don't even like to be that easy because when we sin, we want to pay for it. Have you found yourself atoning for your sin? You blow it and somehow you think, I've got to walk with my head low for at least two or three days. Then I feel better about myself. But the truth of the matter is, is that when and you, you afflict yourself, well, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink coffee, I'm not going to have Dunkin' Donuts coffee for three whole days because of what I did. And the Lord's going, why don't you just confess it right now and then have Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Have two cups. That's how good he is. And that's the efficacy, if I can use that fancy term, of the blood of Christ. You can walk away guilt-free, your fellowship restored, even if you don't feel it. But you believe by faith what he said in his word, because that is more important than your heart. Amen? But God is jealous for you. And he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the, gener- the third and the fourth generation, notice, of those who hate him. It doesn't mean that God, if, you, if your father sins, your, your son is going to pay for it, pay for that sin. The son may experience the consequence of the father's sin, but that sin is going to be on the father himself. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says this, The soul who sins shall die. And the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So the consequence of the father, his sin, it may affect his children and often does. In fact, whole families are wrecked and destroyed because of a sin of a parent. 
Maybe they have a drinking problem. Maybe they have a problem with marijuana. Maybe they have a problem with heroin. Maybe they like to go to the dog track. Maybe they like to do OTB. But ungodly parents usually lead to ungodly offspring. But that cycle doesn't have to continue. And that's what God is saying here. He'll visit that iniquity to the the third and the fourth generation, notice, of those who hate me. So if you have a child, a father and a husband husband and a wife, they have offspring and they hate God. Their kids are probably going to hate God too. And their kids are probably going to hate God too. And their kids may hate God too. But I was one of those generations that said, I love God. And it wasn't even within me. I was in my sin when God convicted me. I was literally in my sin when God reached down and he knocked on my door and it was undeniable, unbelievable. I wept like I've never wept before, begging God to forgive me. Love that day. He said, verse 10, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? That's another spear in my heart when I think about my sin because I think of it so lightly. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The idea here is not just a swear word that we've all heard throughout our our time as a a young person, or even now you have people who will say, they don't even say Jesus' name in in vain anymore usually because they've never heard his word. They never heard the name Jesus. Did you notice that? I'm finding that phrase um, for older guys and ladies. I hear that every now and then. But for the upcoming generation, most of, most of them have never even heard the word Jesus to even make a swear word out of it. You have to know a word to make a swear word out of it. Most of the kids nowadays, they don't even know who he is. And that's why it's so important for us, loved ones, <laughs> brothers and sisters, to get out there and to share our faith because there are so many people out there they don't even know they're sick. They don't even know that they're walking, they're, they're, they're walking dead. That's a true zombie. As somebody who doesn't know Christ today, they're walking around, they don't even know it. They're dead. They're dead men walking. They're dead women walking. They have no clue. They need to be told the truth in love. They need someone to stick with them, and we need to be that kind of person, those kind of people who are willing to go out of our comfort zone and speak the truth to those all around us. So important. That's our mandate, right? Matthew chapter 28. He said, verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, your ox, your donkey, your cattle, your stranger who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You know, a Sabbath is a really wonderful thing. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we know this because we, we read it in Genesis. The, the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and all the hosts of them were finished. Now the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the Sabbath day from all of the work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he, in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. The Sabbath is a really good thing. Except in the New Testament, there's no mention of it of the church, of needing to observe it like all the other commandments. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that really isn't reiterated in the New Testament. But the Sabbath for us is good, whatever day that is, whether it's Friday at sundown to Sunday or Saturday at noon down, like, or sun, the Saturday at sundown like it is for the Jews. That's their Sabbath. We think of Sunday as a Sabbath, but is it? Is it a Sabbath? Is it a day that you rest? 
There are some companies that will stay open 24-7, seven days a week, and, they, and their employees are burning out. There's no rest because there's money to be made. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, Simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location, and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.